2: A new human consciousness is emerging. According to today's guest, Gary Zukav, humanity based on love instead of fear is upon us, but only we can bring it into being. Gary joins us today to talk about how we can transform experiences of hopelessness, emptiness, and pain into fulfillment, meaning, and joy. Gary has inspired millions to realize their soul's greatest potential. He is the author of the legendary number one New York Times bestseller, The Seed of the Soul, and co-founder of The Seed of the Soul Institute. Gary's new book is Universal Human, Creating Authentic Power and the New Consciousness. Welcome, Gary. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure, Joan. I'm glad to be here.
2: Well, Gary, for me, it really is an honor to have you here because your work has had an impact on my life and it's helped me navigate challenges that I faced. And, you know, I know it's done that for millions of people around the world, the Seed of the Soul was such a groundbreaking book, and it it touched so many lives. And from the time when you first wrote that book, through all the lectures and and all the other work that you've done, what changes have you seen in people?
1: Well, I have seen so many changes of such depth and power and clarity and love that I'm awed. I'm I'm awed at who we are as humans. I'm awed at our capability. And what I want to suggest to people, is that now those capabilities have changed dramatically. A new phase of human consciousness, and this transformation is species-wide. It's not happening all at once, but it's happening very fast from an evolutionary point of view. Within, in my experience, within uh, two or three generations, all humans will have this new consciousness. And it's not mystical. It's simply expanding. It's a consciousness that allows us to perceive beyond the limitations of the five senses, to look at ourselves as more than bodies and minds, and the world as more than random, and the universe is more than inert and the product of a big bang, whatever that is.
2: We're in the midst of global challenges, the likes of which most have never experienced before. I mean, the year that we're all coming off of and all that we've gone through. And you say that we can transform these painful experiences into something joyful and positive when we know how to use them. So how does what you're telling us, how does what you're teaching play into that? How do we go about doing that?
1: That is the same as the question, how do I create authentic power? It's only possible to create authentic power, well, first of all, to understand what it is. Mm -hmm. The old understanding of power is the ability to manipulate and control. That's what, we've used as a species for 300,000 years, or maybe 2.5 million years, depending upon where the count starts. But it's all counterproductive now. It used to be our good medicine, and now it's poison. It's toxic. It produces only violence and destruction. That's part of the new consciousness. The new understanding and experience of power is the alignment of your personality with your soul. And your soul is that part of you, that intends to create harmony and cooperation and sharing and reverence for life. It's the part of you that doesn't die when you die. It's the part that existed before you were born. And now real power comes from aligning yourself with that. Now, how do you do it? That was the question you asked. You do it by finding all of the parts of your personality that prevent that from happening, which means prevents you from loving, which means prevents you from giving the gifts that you were born to give. Let me give you a few samples or examples of those parts of your personality. Anger, resentment, inferiority, superiority, rage, vengeance, righteousness, every compulsive activity and obsessive thought and addictive behavior. All of these come from parts of your personality that prevents you from aligning your personality with your soul that prevents you from giving the gifts you were born to give. Now, all of this is part of the new consciousness that we're talking about because this conversation would not have made any sense to my parents, maybe even not to your parents. But now it's beginning to make sense to hundreds of millions of people. So to create authentic power requires emotional awareness, which tells you when fear is active. And all of those behaviors and experiences that I mentioned, we can put into one basket. And for convenience, we'll call it fear. And we can put all of your other kinds of experiences in another basket. Experience such as gratitude, appreciation, caring, contentment, patience, all of the universe. We can put all of those into a category and call it love. Now, the big thing that the new consciousness allows you to see, is that when you have any of these experiences, although it may may feel like it at the time, these experiences are not coming from the unchangeable ground of your being. When you're angry, I read in your bio, uh, Joan, about the loss of uh, important members of, of your family and about all that followed that. Everyone experiences that kind of grief and pain and loss and hopelessness and despair that follows it. But what most people don't know, and they can know now, and they may be resonating with what I and you are saying, is that experiences like that that seem to be all-enveloping, all-encapsulating, like grief, loss, despair, hopelessness, helplessness, those come from a part or or parts of your personality. And you have other parts of your personality as well. And as you remember that and set your intention to remember that, When you feel despair or rage or anger or righteousness, you can, in that moment, while you're feeling these frightened parts of your personality, reach for the healthiest part of your personality that you can in that moment. Think of a time when you felt felt so grateful, maybe for your life, maybe for someone in your life, not for what that person could give to you or has given to you, but because they exist in the world, and you're so grateful for that. Reach for that while you're feeling anger or jealousy or resentment or superiority or inferiority. Choose not to be controlled by that part of your personality. That's creating authentic power. Moving beyond the control of the destructive, painful parts of your personality. And that's where emotional awareness comes in.
2: You had mentioned what I experienced in my life, and and really the work I'm doing now, Gary, was the result of that because in in six months, my 23-year marriage ended, my mother died, my sister died, and my son left for school. So the identity I had no longer existed. And in that dark place, I mean, you you talk about a transformation. It was almost like I had to be knocked to my knees to awaken And and I'm not sure I would have grown the way I have without that pain. Is it possible for us to awaken to to be part of this new consciousness without having that type of of suffering in our life?
1: It's not necessary to wait for that kind of experience, but it is necessary for you or for me or for anyone who's listening if you want to change to experience your emotions. You cannot grow spiritually without your heart. You cannot deny or repress or suppress or try to pretend that your emotions are not happening to you and grow spiritually because your emotions carry messages. You might say they're messages from your soul. They tell you when fear is active in you and when love is active in you. It's easy to tell when fear is active in you because it hurts. You hurt. You hurt in specific places in your body. In the East, these places are called chakras. But since I don't speak Sanskrit, I prefer to call them energy processing centers. And there's one at the crown of your head, and in your temple area, and between your forehead on your forehead between your eyes, and in your throat, in your chest area, in your solar plexus area, in your genital area, and the very base of your torso. Whenever you are experiencing a frightened part of your personality, or you might want to call it a fear-based part of your personality. You, fi- you experience physical pain in those areas. And I'm not talking about pain like you can say, it's, I feel happy or I feel constricted or I feel heavy. Those are just poetic labels. I'm talking about physical sensations, churning, burning, stabbing, contracting, aching, throbbing. When you are aware of fear active in you, And you are able to articulate it in terms of the physical sensations in these parts of your body, then you're on your road to the spiritual path. And when love is present in you, it feels good. You don't have painful physical sensations. They're blissful, they're good feeling physical sensations. And your thoughts, instead of, how can I live without her? How can I live without him? Everything is lost. I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. You are experiencing thoughts of gratitude and appreciation and caring in all of the universe. And creating authentic power is conceptually simple. You choose between allowing yourself to be controlled by the frightened parts or continue to indulge in them, which is the same thing. Or you strive in that moment of pain and helplessness and hopelessness to bring your awareness to the healthiest part of your personality you can in the moment, because where your attention goes, you go. And as you do that, you create authentic power, not the first time, although that could happen. But if your growth is incremental, (laughs) like mine has been, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: as you do it again, and again, and again, and again, you begin to move beyond the control of those parts of your personality. You know them very well, but they don't They don't command you as they did at one time. It's more like water running off the feathers of a duck. And so now you're asking, you ask, is it possible for someone to grow spiritually without having the kind of experience that you had? And the answer is yes. What you had is the most worn, the well-worn path to that kind of experience that, as you said, knocks you to your knees. But to grow spiritually, it's necessary to experience all of your emotions, all of your emotions and as you begin to become emotionally aware the first emotions that you experience are fear right because that is what most of us experience and are controlled by all of our lives this is all part of the new consciousness this is why i'm so excited about it and so pleased that you invited me to share these observations and by the way as i share i will say that my spiritual partner linda and by the way, a spiritual partner is not just a dyadic relationship. It's not romantic. As uh, as I share and as we share in our events and as I will share in my podcast, I don't ask you or anyone to take what I'm saying as true simply because I say it. And in fact, I suggest that you not take as true what anyone says simply because they say it, whether they're saying it from a pulpit or they're on a sh- television show or a radio show and they have a microphone, experiment with it. See what you feel about it. If you resonate with it, take it in. See if it can help you uh, move in the direction that you want to grow toward more awareness and freedom from fear and into love. And if it doesn't, let it go. Don't, don't try to wear a shoe that pinches. There's lots of ways to wisdom, to the heart, and that diversity of ways is one of my joys. But this is a way that I like to share as a window through which I've come to see life. And I hope that is helpful for you as well.
2: Gary, what in your life led you to understand what you've been teaching to us for years?
1: Well, that's a good question. The universe was my teacher, and it was always teaching me. It paid much attention to it. For example, I know now that we're more than minds and bodies. I know that the world. Is symbolic. It's meaningful. It tells me about myself, not just about the world. Our senses, the world teaches us about the world. I wrote a book on physics. For example, our observations of the world show us that the speed of light in a vacuum is 186,222 miles per second. An amazing fact, an amazing discovery. But it's not about ourselves. The new consciousness sees the world, the physical world, as instructing us about ourselves, sees it as a mirror, you might say, facing always toward us, and we can learn from the reflection in that mirror. So let me give a specific example. When I was just, uh, when I I was still in Harvard, and I was coming back to Kansas to be uh, with, I I would come back to Kansas to be with my grandmother, and I loved her a lot, and we had the greatest times together. But the last time I came back to Kansas to be with her was for her funeral, and it was devastating to my parents. But for me, I had this different experience. I was in a funeral home, and the rabbi was speaking to the people assembled who were in front of him, but we in the family were in an alcove off to his right, and I was looking at a closed circuit television monitor showing him as he appeared to the people in front of him, but I was looking at him from the side. Now, in those days... A closed-circuit television monitor was completely (laughs) novel. Very few people had seen them. I was for the first time, and it made me laugh. Now, let me give you a little backstory. When I would come to visit my grandmother, she lived in this apartment building that was mostly for older people. I don't think it was a retirement home, but it might as well have been. And she would take me to have a dinner in the restaurant there, and it was a lovely restaurant, a big one. And afterwards, we would wander through the, lo- through the lobby, and she was holding my hand. And she'd introduce me, and she'd say, Gary, you remember Mrs. Hirsch? And I'd nod. Or you remember Mr. Goldstein? And I'd nod, even if I hadn't. But mm-hmm. if I didn't nod, she would jerk my hand down, and she'd say, Shh. well, there I was at her funeral. <laughs> and she jerked my hand down, and she said, Shh, when I started to laugh. She wanted to enjoy and listen to her funeral. I never told they would think that I was hallucinating, but I wasn't. Grandma Libby was right there with me, the way she always had been. She even jerked my hand down and hushed me, the way she always had. But I didn't realize this. I didn't realize this, Joan, at the time. It was decades later, before I realized that's multi-sensory perception, or a part of it. And the rest of it started to come down, I won't say like an avalanche, but it started to rain when I was writing The Dancing Woothing Masters. I was invited to a meeting of physicists at the Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory, and they were some of the finest theoretical physicists in the world. And I was excited because I could understand what they were saying. They were not speaking in mathematical terms, but in qualitative terms. And I went home so excited, so stimulated. I felt like I had three cups of cappuccino, and they were all, all of that was sparking off my fingertips. But, I couldn't describe to anybody what was exciting me. I could not replicate it. I could not articulate it. So I went back. Uh, I asked if I could come and they were very gracious and he gave me that permission. And I decided that I wanted to write a book to give what I was learning about quantum physics to everyone, to non-physicists like me, the liberal arts majors like me on the golden platter. And I did. I went back and I went back. I started to read and read and read. And then I started to write. And then I asked the physicists at this gathering if they would help me with the book. And they said they would, all except one. It was amazing. And to me, their generosity
0: was amazing.
1: And they only asked me one thing. In fact, they demanded it. Get it right. Get it factually, historically, and conceptually accurate. And so I would write a page on my old Smith Corona typewriter. They weren't Mm -hmm. all old in those. And I'd send it to them, and they'd send me a page or maybe two pages back, and I would incorporate that into the book in different ways. In this process, as I started to write the book, I wrote an outline for each chapter. But when I started to write, immediately the energy, my energy, my thoughts, my passion, my excitement went somewhere else. (laughs) The outline was not holding it anymore. I threw away the outline. I went with the energy. I just wrote what came to me, what was inspiring to me, what I saw, what was stimulating me as I learned this thing called quantum mechanics without any mathematics. And that's how I was able to share it. Now, in about six months, I noticed these chapters were fitting together. So I planned it, but I didn't plan it. I disposed with all of the outlines So how was that happening? How could it be happening? That's when I realized. That's when I experienced. I'm not writing this alone. Then I realized it's not possible to be alone. I'm not a channel. It's not possible for anyone to be alone. Therefore, it's not possible to co-create alone. And I decided whatever it is that I'm in touch with, I'm going to live my life with more of that. I'm going to live my life the way this book is being written, spontaneously. Ten years later, I was writing another book called Physics and Consciousness. And, and I realized this is, and I had a lot written and it was good, but it came from my eyebrows upward. That was its origin. And I felt something deeper and richer that I wanted to write about. And that book became The Seat of the Soul about evolution reincarnation, the earth school, non-physical guides and non-physical teachers, the heart. And that is the book that really for me was the beginning of the full emergence of non-physical reality in my life. And that's when I realized, or I was taught, I began to be taught that this is happening to hundreds of millions of people. And those are the people that I want to support. I want to support everyone, but someone who's still five century will not have in their experience anything that they can use to hook on to what I'm saying or what we're talking about. But it's real. Everyone eventually will be multi-sensory. And the fact that we are multi-sensory does not make us superior in any way to someone who's five-sensory. It's just a temporary ebb and flow in evolution. We are part of a magnificent evolution and we are becoming aware of it as it happens. We're becoming aware with our new consciousness, that we are creating our evolution. That's some big news.
2: Gary's new book is Universal Human, Creating Authentic Power and the New Consciousness. If you'd like to get more information about Gary and his work, you can visit GaryZukoff.com. Gary, in our final moments, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with?
1: I would like to suggest you consider the possibility That you are a compassionate and loving, powerful, and creative spirit. That your origins are not only biological. That your creative capacity is far beyond what you can imagine. That you have a purpose in your life. A gift to give. A sacred contract with the universe. There is nothing pre-written in the universe. There is no destiny. You're not burdened by that. There is potential There is no right and no wrong. There is cause and effect, and you cannot separate them. If you are part of the cause, you will experience the effect and be part of it. Make the cause a loving intention. Make your words contributory. Make your joy evident to the world. Share it without attachment to the outcome. And enjoy yourself.
2: Gary, thank you for spending this time with us. I am excited to share your book with our listeners. And as I said in the introduction, I'm honored that you're spending this time with us today. So thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, you're welcome, Joan. Oh, it's a joy, Joan. Thank you so much.
2: This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
4: Take action today. Head to BestPathForMe.com. Again, that's BestPathForMe.com.
2: Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit cyacyl.com and be sure to tell your friends. productive life but sometimes we just need a little help our coach on call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now joining me today is linda mitchell a certified transition coach reinvention expert and speaker who empowers people that are stuck overwhelmed or ready for change to release the struggle gain clarity and evolve to their highest purpose as they move through life's challenges and transitions linda is here today to discuss how our issues land in our tissues welcome linda thanks for joining us Thanks, Joan. It's always a pleasure to be here. So, Linda, I love this topic. In past segments, you've touched upon how our issues land in our tissues. Can you explain more about this for us?
5: Yeah, sure. Joan, our physical bodies are an outward representation of our inner landscape. And by inner landscape, I mean the thoughts, feelings, beliefs, and emotions that we hold inside. Unresolved emotions and issues land in our tissues. If we never fully resolve a trauma maybe never forgive a past hurt or deal with a difficult situation or relationship. If we're sweeping things under the rug, eventually they're going to land in our body tissues.
2: What are a few examples of where different emotional issues and traumas actually land in our physical body? Well, let's take a look at the neck first. The neck reflects
5: lack of choice. When we feel out of control, when we feel like others are controlling us, or if we have a strong desire to always be in control, It's the neck that becomes stiff, rigid, painful, or tense. And how about the shoulders? People who are constantly under pressure or overburdened with responsibility and obligations often have boulders in their shoulders, right? So those who are fixated with everything they must do and should do will usually have shoulder issues. Over time, the shoulders feel like they're holding the weight of the world. And so, Joan, if you look at how we spell the word shoulder, it starts with should, S-H-O-U-L-D. We're shooting on ourselves. Stop shoulding on yourself and your shoulders will feel better. And to take it a step further, the left and right shoulders hold different issues. Show me a person who has chronic left shoulder issues and I'll show you a person who believes they rarely get what they want. Those who tend toward perfectionism and must have structure and order all the time often have right shoulder issues. Now, another big area where issues land is our low backs. The low back holds issues of safety, security, stability, and conflict with authority. Think of a time where your life lacked stability or security, or you were in conflict with someone who had authority over you. This could be anything from the insecurity of financial woes to not being sure if your job is going to be eliminated to feeling insecure in an important relationship. These kind of issues land in the low back. And when we have issues with our feet, that's likely because our foundational beliefs are being tested or we're in conflict with them. The knees, wow, the knees hold so much information. They deserve a dissertation all by themselves. But depending on the knee, which left or right, and if it's top, side, bottom of a kneecap, that's going to determine the specific issue. But very generally speaking, the knees hold fear of commitment, reluctance to allow yourself pleasure. And certain relationship issues And now the left and the right sides of our body have meaning as well. Our left is our feminine, our feminine side. It's all about creativity, receiving and thoughts about the future. If you're experiencing a lot of accidents, injuries or issues on the left side of your body, ask yourself two things. First, how comfortable are you receiving help? Do you struggle with receiving and really prefer to be the one giving? versus receiving gifts, compliments, things like that. And second, do you typically worry or have fear of the future? These issues land in the left side of the body. I see this in moms when their kids go off to school or make major life changes. Fear of the future lands on the left side of the body. Now, on the other hand, the right side of the body represents our masculine side, linear thinking, and thoughts about the past. So issues like Fear of repeating past mistakes or dealing with difficult male relationships will land on the right side of the body. Elbows reflect flexibility issues. TMJ reveals unexpressed resentment. Even facial creases have meaning. Take a look at your family and friends. Anyone have that cute dimple in their chin? Warning, (laughs) they're the people who always like to be right, and they actually need to be right. So I could go on and on because I've only really scratched the surface here. The body speaks its own language. And each body part holds its own story. Body never lies.
2: Linda, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Linda and her work, you can visit livinginspiredcoaching.com or as always, to hear more from Linda, you can visit our website, cya slash Linda. We'll be right back.
0: This is WNY, Sack, New Jersey, New York City.
2: To Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Our next guest, Eric Goldberg, is managing partner of the New Jersey Elder Law Center at Goldberg Law Group. Eric is designated as a certified elder law attorney by the National Elder Law Foundation. He's here today to discuss why we should hire a certified elder law attorney. Welcome, Eric. Thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you, Joan. Pleasure to be here.
2: So Eric, you're a certified elder law attorney. Can you explain to us what that means? What types of services do you provide?
0: Sure. So a certified elder law attorney is an individual that is certified uh, by, by the American Bar Association and the, uh, the National Elder Law Foundation. And a certified elder law attorney must meet rigorous standards. They must have practiced law for at least five years, but most of their practice having been focused on special needs and elder law. They also have to demonstrate a substantial involvement in the elder law practice. Uh, And then the most rigorous thing was an exam. And I believe it or not, less than 50% of individuals taking this exam pass. So really in short what what happened to me when I decided to become a certified elder law attorney is it intensified the amount of time I spent on cases and also I had to do so much research in order to pass this exam that I really felt like I became so much more of a complete elder law attorney. So I think really the bottom line is whenever you find a professional with a certification like this, uh, it's just showing that they are, are really involved in their profession and that they're intensely devoted to helping clients in this type of profession.
2: You just described the training and the research that went into this certification. You know, online, there are all these templates and there are these services to do planning. Could this be Mm -hmm. something that a person would be able to do on his or her own? Or is it always a good idea to consult with a certified elder law attorney?
0: Well, you know, it's always a, a good idea to consult with a professional in general. But as far as elder law goes, yes, a certified elder law attorney is going to satisfy an individual That they're really talking to somebody who is devoted to that area of the the law now there are all of these elder law in a box type plans i'm guessing out there just like a, a legal zoom and every once in a while i do speak with individuals who are very very price sensitive and what i would tell them is if you want to get the most standard basic Agreements out there, the most basic will, the most basic power of attorney, healthcare, power of attorney, maybe those programs would be right for you. But the problem is, and I think the key word here is maybe, because I have seen a number of horror stories when people use these documents, but they don't use them correctly. Because, you know, this, we're not just drafting documents for people, we're guiding people. So there's a reason for each of these documents and there's a reason that I put certain things in documents. Let me give you an example. So because of my elder law and disability background, I choose to put what's known as a contingent supplemental needs trust in most, if not all of my wills. Now, all that means is that in the event that a beneficiary is disabled, when the testator, the individual executing the will passes away. We can uh, allow that individual to receive their inheritance without jeopardizing a government benefits program that they may be on. Somebody who's not familiar with this area of law would not put that into their will. And unfortunately, people do become disabled over life, whether it is a spouse due to age or, or a car accident or stroke or something happens to a beneficiary. And this is the kind of information that clients need to look at before they sign a document.
2: Eric, you just used the words horror stories to describe some of the things that you've seen over the years. What are some of the mm-hmm. biggest problems that can arise when we don't plan for the future?
0: Well, that's a great question because we're going through one of these horror stories right now. The The biggest horror story is not having a financial power of attorney and healthcare care power of attorney. Uh, so right now we have a client who is, she is elderly and she had a stroke, a major stroke. So now, uh, cognitively, she is unable to make any, any decisions for herself. She's unable to manage her own affairs. She never executed a financial or health care power of attorney. So we had to file for a guardianship, appointing her elderly husband as her guardian. They have no children and they have a very small family. Well, midway through the process, he passed away. So then we had to amend our complaint and find new a new guardian, who is uh, her brother, who she rarely sees. So I guess the point of the story is, we co- she could have executed a very simple document, a financial power of attorney, six, eight months ago, or she had about 85 years to do it prior to that and didn't do that. And so now uh, it's cost- it's costing the family money time and emotional strife in order to get this done. And unfortunately, I I wouldn't be surprised if uh, this whole process may have even hastened her husband's demise from all the stress of this. And it's such a simple document that uh, they could have just gone to an elder law attorney or an estate planning attorney to, to have drawn up for them.
2: Eric, before a person meets with a certified elder law attorney like yourself, so that mm-hmm. it can be the most productive, what are some of the things that we should all be considering when planning for the future? You know, what do you want us to think about before we meet with you?
0: So what I, I we ask clients to think about, and you know, most of them have thought about this uh, before they've met with us, is what will my future look like if I do have a long-term care need? Now. The the statistic is somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 percent of us are going to need long term care at some point. So what is our financial and health care life going to look like if this happens? What we find, especially with seniors now, is their biggest concern is very often not themselves. Their biggest concern is to continue to take care of their family. And this is what keeps a lot of them up at night, is the fact that they may die impoverished. But to me, I want them to envision a future where they, if they do need long-term care, they at least can, can rest knowing that they're not going to become impoverished due to this long-term care need. And that, that by planning, uh, we will have provided them with options in the future. Because one of the things that we find, you know, unfortunately, is that money is is so important, even though some people aren't money-oriented people. So if you don't have money, you really run out of choices. You run out of options uh, to live where you want to live and to get the care where you want to get the care. And unfortunately, a lot of these people have adult children who uh, have either uh, financial difficulties or disabilities. And they sit there worrying about them, and it's and none of that is very good for their longevity.
2: There's a lot that we all should be thinking about, and, and I thank you so much for joining us to share some of this information with us. If you would like to learn more about Eric and his work, you can visit njelc.com, or as always, to hear more from Eric, you can visit our website, dot slash Eric. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
6: Did you know that fostering a truly diverse and inclusive organization adds to the business value proposition? Diversity, equity, and inclusion can be an especially intense and emotional topic in business, media, and politics alike. Generally, because this topic calls for change, it is met with resistance. What does diversity and inclusion really mean? Diversity is defined as understanding, valuing, and celebrating the uniqueness of each person and recognizing how individual differences enrich your organization at all levels. These differences appear along many differing dimensions beyond gender, age, race, ethnicity, and socioeconomic status. Inclusion allows all team members to be treated fairly and respectfully. Equity is access to opportunities and resources, so all can contribute fully to the organization's success. When you have an organization like this, you approach challenges from all directions with solutions from every angle, which lends to achieving greater results. Your team and clients both feel recognized and appreciated. Because of this, businesses such as these gain success in collaboration, sales, business relationships are strengthened, investments are secured and overall positive culture is established. To further this discussion, call me Bertha Robinson at 732-705-5060 or visit my website star1professional.com.
7: Is perfectionism holding you back from being organized? Hi, I'm Gail Gruenberg, CPOCD, Chief Executive Organizer of Let's Get Organized. As a professional organizing firm that specializes in serving clients who are chronically disorganized, we help people change their lives as well as organize their homes and offices. You may be saying, hey, wait a minute, Gail, how can I be a perfectionist and be disorganized? Isn't that a contradiction? Not necessarily. Some people feel that if they can't do something perfectly, they may as well not do it at all, so they don't even try. If they don't have the perfect container, phone app, or timekeeping system, they feel like a failure. What's at the heart of this perfectionism? It could be messages received in childhood, like if they weren't perfectly behaved or didn't get perfect grades, they were worthless or unloved. It could have been a traumatic event that triggered a certain limiting belief system or any number of other causes. In concert with mental health professionals, professional organizers can work with you to overcome perfectionism, begin to understand that done is better than perfect and create a life that lets you feel confident, Calm and in control. I'm Gail Gruenberg with Let's Get Organized. Working with you on site or virtually, we help you make space for blessings. If you're ready to change your life by getting organized, call us at 201-613-2733 or visit our website at lgorganized.com.
4: Hi, this is Mark Anthony with the Quick Path Tip. What does your breath and fat have in common? carbon hydrogen and oxygen at a basic level all fat is made up of carbon hydrogen and oxygen now i bet you are not aware that roughly 80 percent of your fat loss happens when you exhale how can that be you ask take a big deep breath in now exhale let's take a look at what happened in that breath cycle most of what you breathed in was o2 or oxygen the oxygen that you breathed in connected to the carbon and hydrogen atoms in your fat The hydrogen turns into water and the carbon turns into carbon dioxide, the air you breathe out. Since the carbon in fat weighs more than the hydrogen, roughly 80% of your fat loss is exhaled as CO2. So what does this really come down to? Do exercises that cause heavy breathing. Whether you walk, run, lift weights, high intensity or low intensity, focus on your breath and revel in the fact that it's causing you to breathe away the inches on your waistline. For more information, please visit BestPathForMe.com. Once again, that is BestPathForMe.com.
2: It's time for To Your Health. Joining us today is Eileen Leshinsky, the founder and creator of Fine Body Freedom, a program developed for women who want to change their relationship with their bodies. For over three decades, Eileen battled with her own issues with body image, weight, and her relationship with food. After trying every diet on the market, she realized that the answers to her struggles were right inside her body. Since then, Eileen has been working with women to guide them to discover their own innate body wisdom, and to find body freedom. Welcome, Eileen. Thank you so much for joining us. So glad to be here, Joan. Thank you for having me. Eileen, most women have been programmed to believe that we are inherently flawed, which leads us then to try diet after diet, extreme exercise programs, or even body reshaping surgeries. So let's talk a little bit about your approach and why it's different. How do you help women break these patterns? Well, firstly,
3: Joan, first and foremost, I've lived this. So I have uh, a lot of experience uh, working on how to shift my perception of me, and then that led to helping other women shift their perceptions of themselves. I've lived this so I know the traps. I know what we can fall into, and I know how uh, enticing and addicting It is to think about, okay, if I try this new diet or this new exercise program, or boy, does that surgery sound like I can have a flat belly in 30 minutes. I understand all of that. And to be honest with you, some of those things I had tried earlier in my life. So I created this program, Find Body Freedom which is an online program. It's a modular program that deals with body image, with our relationship, with our weight and the scale, with our relationship with food, with the central focus on intuitive eating or attuned eating. And I created this module per, modular program so that women all over the country and all over the world could have access to another perspective, so that we can step out of our programming that we're now in. And and I would like to add uh, this also that I shine light on some of the big misconceptions that we've believed over time, such as that if I am um, a size eight, some people say a size eight, some people say if you are over a size eight, that means you're overweight. And that's just not true. But these are some of the misconceptions that I help women see.
2: Eileen, when did you realize that your approach works? I realized it when I
3: had myself started uh, to find body freedom. And I recognized that uh, when I started uh, to fuel my body when it was hungry, um, and when uh, my body, I learned that my body could say, Hey, Eileen, you've had enough. And I recognized that when I started to move my body slash exercise it, but when I started to move my body for health and well being, not for weight loss, my body just responded so differently to those two particular activities or those two particular strategies. And my body just lit up from the inside out. And see, this is how I remember feeling. My body started to sing. It just, I exuded so much more energy and vitality. And I think the beauty that comes from a healthy body. And so my body was
2: what led me to this awareness that I had found body freedom. So you said that you recognize that you found body freedom. Do you continue to live this way today? I've been living this way since 1992.
3: Not to say that I haven't tweaked it or not to say that as my body has aged, because it has since 1992. Um, that I haven't had to, um, you know, to reevaluate or tweak in whatever way. But absolutely, Joan, I can't imagine living in another way because I am so in tune with my body rhythms, with my body messages, the language that my body speaks, all of its rhythms, even things like if I mess up my sleep schedule for whatever reason, the havoc that that plays on the rest of the following day or even sometimes uh, beyond that. And so I am so very much aware that I need to live this life. And this life that I live now has just rewarded me with good health and with well-being and with what I consider Uh, my own beauty both inwardly and outwardly.
2: Eileen thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about fine body freedom you can visit Eileen's website finebodyfreedom.com or you can listen to some of our previous conversations by visiting our website cyacl.com slash Eileen. The trick is to enjoy life. Don't wish away your days waiting for better ones ahead. I recently stumbled upon this quote by Marjorie Pay Hinckley. Marjorie's words got me to thinking about my life and how I've rushed most of it away, not being fully present or savoring the joy of any moment. Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Don't wish away your days waiting for better ones. When I was a teenager, I couldn't wait to grow up so I could drink or go to college or even get married. When my children were infants and toddlers, I muddled through most days in anticipation of the evening when they would go to sleep, and I thought about when they would be older and more self-sufficient. When I was the caregiver for my parents, I struggled through those years frazzled and exhausted. When I held job positions that were unfulfilling, I wished for the day that I would find employment that made me happy. Looking back, I can't recall one period in my life in which I wasn't looking ahead to something different or better. The sad thing is that it took tremendous loss to wake me up, the loss of my marriage, the deaths of my parents and siblings, my children growing up and moving on with their lives. Now, I strive to live in the present moment. All those quotes about leaving the past behind and not worrying about the future are so true. When you live in the past or try to anticipate the future, you miss the here and now. So what can you do? When you're dealing with a challenge, look for the positive and learn from the experience. If you're caring for a sick loved one, treasure every minute because I promise you one day you would give anything to nurse that person again. If your children are driving you crazy, remember that sooner than you'll like, they will be moving out and starting their own lives. All the seemingly insignificant moments, both good and bad, are as Paul Anka said, the times of your life. Enjoy them all. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com.